Um, but really their phytochemicals and, and the small amounts of these poisons can add up over time and cause really deleterious health effects in some people. Welcome back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I'm your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. So for those of you new to this podcast, I was a chemical engineer who switched careers into health coaching after struggling with autoimmunity, thyroid issues, weight gain. I had a horrible sugar addiction and a binge eating disorder. And through functional nutrition and mindfulness tools, completely transformed my relationship with food and my health. And now I've coached hundreds of people to do the same. So today I'm so excited to share with you an interview I had with Scott Maslinski. He is the host of the Carnivore Cast. This is a podcast focused on the carnivore diet where he interviews expert researchers, doctors, and regular N equals one people who have relieved a variety of conditions with the carnivore diet or a keto diet. And Scott has been a carnivore himself for almost three years and he uses the diet to improve his own health and well-being. And the reason I'm so excited to have Scott on the podcast is because the carnivore diet was something when I heard about it, I kind of scoffed, like, like brushed it off. I was like, okay, people are having results probably because they're going from like standard American diet, processed food, tons of sugar and processed oils. And they're going to this, you know, all meat. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely better. That's a step in the right direction. But in my mind, I was like, there's no way that's optimal because of what we're kind of preached at, that we need vegetables and we need phytonutrients and, and fiber and all these things. And so I never really kind of thought twice about it. And so I've myself have been on a very low carb, strict paleo diet for about eight years now, because that's what worked for me. And to an extent, there was, there's a, for the last couple of years, there's just been something that I know wasn't optimal because I would still randomly have these patches of eczema pop up on my wrist and my hip. And I have a lot of issues with vegetables, like random oral allergy symptoms where my mouth gets really itchy or I'll have like rashes or I'll feel really bloated. And I've had bloating the last year or so, just like I'll wake up late bloated. And I'm like, why is this happening? I'm eating the healthiest food in the world. Like I eat so restricted already. Why do I feel this way? And meat's always been like my safe food. Like be like, I, I just, I don't have reactions with it, but other things, plants, I'm already very limited because of so many things that I notice when I eat certain ones, like seeds make my joints ache. So it's just like, um, this is all very unique anyways. So I was like forcing myself to eat a lot of plants because of what the conventional wisdom is that we need them. And I was cooking them down a lot though, because I have issues digesting them raw. And even with that, again, I was still not feeling optimal. And I also, I also had very low iron, really low ferritin levels that I didn't realize. And I was having horrible anxiety, horrible states of depression that I've never experienced in my life. Like these really dark thoughts which sounds super scary. And it was, it was luckily it didn't last long because I found out these detrimentally low iron levels and I wasn't eating beef at the time, not because I have anything against it. It was just schedule. And I was like streamlining chicken and sardines. Like it wasn't anything. I've always been a proponent of eating beef, but, um, anyways, so I knew something wasn't optimal because as I said, bloating, had these patches of eczema, I had, just felt like my energy wasn't as high as it like could be. And a lot of that was the iron. And I found, I've been looking for an answer. 
and I found Kyle Kingsbury's podcast and was listening to his interview with Dr. Paul Saladino. And that was the start of something beautiful because I, it opened my eyes so much to what this carnivore diet is and that it's not just eat meat. So you're eating zero carbs. It's really opening the eyes to the fact that plants have a lot of defense mechanisms and chemicals in them that are not necessarily healthy for everybody. And there is a lot, there's just so much misinformation that we're fed around fiber and again, those phytonutrients. And so it's been blowing my mind. And then I kind of got, went down the rabbit hole and I've been um, listening to Michaela Peterson's journey, which she's got really, um, her autoimmune journey and going carnivore and a bunch of other testimonials. And then I found Scott's podcast, which has absolutely changed my life. His podcast is incredible. And I love the way Scott approaches things. He's very, it's not dogmatic or like that. This is some like religion that he's trying to press on you. It's very much data driven and that it's this, these real people transforming their lives through this diet. And it's like, you're not trying to press it on you, but the fact that it is, can be so therapeutic. And I, that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast. Cause I want people to know that this is an option and it may be something to try. And by all means, if you're feeling fabulous and you've got so much energy and you don't have any health issues, like do what keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's obviously working. But if you're somebody that's got IBS or Crohn's or psoriasis or any autoimmune condition, any neurological condition, I think that you could benefit so much from potentially exploring this diet or learning more about the healthy qualities of meat and what plants might be doing to you and as far as their properties like lectins and oxalates and, and other components that they have. And so I myself started the, I was like, I can't, I can't just keep researching. I got to just do it for myself because we're all so unique. And so I want to drive that point too, that we're all so bio-individual and you may be able to handle a lot of plants, but if you're having issues, this may be something to try. Um, anyway, so I started the carnivore diet about 48 days ago, give or take, I think. Um, and it has been amazing. I love it. I committed to only 21 days, but after I just like didn't want to go back because it's pretty, it was pretty easy for me because I really like, like I like me and you're, I'm eating ribeyes and they're great and um, I feel very satiated. But what I noticed the difference was, and again, I was already on a very low carb paleo diet. The notice the difference was, was the bloating was the biggest thing. It was like the first time in a year and a half that I haven't woken up bloated or been bloated after a meal. Like I can eat a whole steak and not be bloated and that's pretty phenomenal. And so there was something going on there for sure. And I take digestive enzymes and I've tried different things, but it's just like something about it. My body does not particularly like, and anyways, so that was huge. The eczema patches have gone away. I feel great clarity as far as mentally, except for I did give up coffee. So there was a little bit of a withdrawal symptoms in that regard. But then, but now over that hump, um, starting to feel way better. And this is the first time I've ever been off stimulants in like years. I used to take ADHD medication, was very stimulant driven, coffee and energy drinks. Like I've used those. And so this is kind of amazing that I'm not taking any stimulants and I have so much energy. And, um, also allergies. I've noticed for sure my seasonal allergies, there was, they've gotten so much better than when, before I was paleo. Oh my gosh, that's like night and day. 
with the carnivore diet, I've noticed I was having some symptoms this season. They weren't horrible, but like itchy eyes. I kind of get itchy mouth, runny nose, and switching for carnivore. Like it's gotten like I don't even notice it. Like I was taking a couple Allegra sometimes, and now I'm not even thinking about it. Um, so that's been really great. And I was also taking like some bovine supplement that helps too with allergies. If you want a natural way to do it, um, that's called Antronex. Just plug for Antronex. <laughs> it's great too. The allergies, but honestly, I think it was just the overload of his, maybe the histamine and a lot of the vegetables I was eating. And it's been awesome. So these are, and I'm, again, I'm only 48 days in and I'm really excited to see what else is, is to come. And I'm really excited to have Scott on here who has just so much knowledge and y'all should definitely check out his podcast, the carnivore cast, cause it is a massive help and amount of really great wisdom. Okay. So with that, let's go to the show. Hi, Scott. How are you? Good. How are you, Ellie? Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm good. Thanks for coming on here. I feel so honored that you were willing to do this. Of course. The pleasure is all mine. Yeah. Well, so for listeners, Scott is a leader in the carnivore diet space. I discovered Scott on his podcast called Carnivore Cast and been recently diving into this world. And so having your podcast has opened my eyes so much and I'm so grateful for it. So I wanted to have you on here to share with listeners and kind of debunk a lot of the misinformation that we're fed. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's very kind of you. Um, I don't know if I'd call myself a leader, but um, I'll do my best to live up to the kind words. Yeah, oh, I absolutely think you're a leader. You're a leader to me. <laughs> um, and so I would love to start off with just like, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you even got involved with carnivore. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been following a meat-based diet for uh, about three and a half years now. Um, I'm in my late 20s. Uh, for, for a living, I work in I've worked in a variety of like strategy roles, strategy and operations type roles, management consulting um, for, for large tech companies. So, so nothing related to health really. Um, and uh, I was a competitive lightweight rower in high school and college. And that came with a whole host of eating habits um, and mindset around food, uh, most of which was not very healthy um, and exercise as well. Um, to that point. And so coming out of college, I didn't really know my way around nutrition very well, didn't know what I was doing. Um, early on, I found things like intermittent fasting and Tim Ferriss's slow carb diet and paleo and was sort of set on a track through that. And it evolved very slowly and through a lot of troubleshooting and failures to something closer to a ketogenic and eventually a meat-based diet and a carnivore diet. Um, but that took years and a lot of learnings and it helped me relieve a lot of the issues I was going through, um, with regards to digestion and body composition and, uh, energy, um, and also my relationship with food. And along the way, I started a podcast, um, just crossed over a hundred episodes, um, and a million downloads. Um, and th there I just try to have on 
um, you know, one, researchers, doctors, experts around ketogenic and carnivore diets to talk about some of the benefits, um, what they're seeing, ways to implement it and troubleshoot, as well as N equals one case studies, folks who have, um, you know, don't have a scientific background, but have experimented with tried a ketogenic or carnivore diet and have used it successfully to overcome things like binge eating disorder, uh, major depression, um, ulcerative colitis, arthritis, whole host of, of issues, and not trying to present it as evidence, but just trying to encourage people to hear those stories and experiment. And someone who is struggling with one of those conditions may just come across a show and say, hey, this is really interesting. Maybe I'll try that for 30 days or 60 days. So I'm really not trying to uh, prophetize uh, the, the carnivore diet. And I would never tell anyone who's not following a carnivore diet, hey, you have to be on a carnivore diet. But it's more um, getting people to open up their minds and, and see what works for them if they're not happy with um, their relationship with food, how they're feeling, their body, et cetera. Thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. And do you think, I guess to start off with, if for the listeners that don't really even know what carnivore diet is or what it entails, can you kind of explain what it is? Yeah. So to me, and people have different versions of it, to me, a carnivore diet is focusing your nutrition on animal foods. So that includes beef. Usually carnivores prefer to get most of their nutrition from beef and beef products, um, so eating a lot of steaks, um, sometimes ground beef, uh, organs um, are kind of optional. Some people choose to include a lot of them, some people don't. Um, and then less or so from, from meats like pork, chicken, seafood, um, carnivores still sometimes eat a lot of those, but some pe most people find they feel better eating mostly beef. Um, and then, you know, eggs, cheese are okay for some people. Some people have reactions to them. It's really a, a very heavily... Uh, elimination diet, um, where you get a lot of the things that could be hurting your health, causing distress, um, causing poor metabolic function out of the diet, such as grains, um, even vegetables for some people, plant-based foods, processed foods. Um, and a lot of people have success, not just with weight loss, but um, relieving a lot of autoimmune conditions with this type of diet. And there's not a lot of great research on it, um, but uh, there are a lot of case studies and the research is coming along and there's more research on a ketogenic diet, which carnivore diet isn't strictly aiming to be ketogenic, but it's very close to uh, ketogenic for most people. And then the last thing I'll say is some people say you have to be 100% strict carnivore to be on a carnivore diet and only eating animal foods. I like to say, you know, if you are 90% eating animal foods, 80% eating animal foods, I would still call that a carnivore diet or at least a meat-based diet. Um, and if, if having a square of dark chocolate every now and then, or some avocados, or um, you know, a little bit of seasonal fruit um, is going to allow you to enjoy the diet more and be more um, adherent, and uh, you don't react poorly to those things, I still qualify that as, as a, a mostly carnivore diet. Yes, thank you. And I like this, uh, like making it kind of work for you based on like what you said with the seasonal berries or some dark chocolate. Yeah. And I really want to dive into your personal journey with like, so with digestive issues, with um, other symptoms that you were experiencing. So what was the shift? Like when you went from to like, like more like paleo diet to keto, like how did that evolve with your symptoms? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 
it's really interesting coming on this show because I, I don't think I've talked as much about this, but I, I developed probably a very poor relationship with food from my rowing days. Lightweight rowing is very similar to wrestling. If you hear some of the horror stories from that and cutting weight, um, you know, guys losing and gaining 20 pounds in a week um, over and over again, uh, just through starving themselves, dehydrating, then binging, then doing it all over again come Monday morning after they weigh in. Um, and it's actually worse than wrestling because it's even less regulated. Um, in wrestling, at least you need doctor's notes and they have hydration tests. Rowing is kind of the wild west with regards to those things. Um, so, you know, I, I spent my college years and my high school years around a group of guys who would were extremely disciplined and hardworking. But, you know, come Saturday night, Sunday night, we would eat like just disgusting amounts of junk food that wouldn't even appeal um, to most common people. <laughs> and uh, I think that I, I, I got away from that and I tried to approach it with a little bit more discipline and intelligence with regards to cutting weight slowly and, and in a healthy way and prioritizing protein when I was in college. But that's kind of part of what was in my mind coming out of graduating from college and, and approaching the, the working world and all of a sudden not having exercise as a backup. And I wanted a way to, to eat healthy and maintain my shape and, and feel good and, and have energy when I was you know, moving into a, an 80 hour work week. Um, in consulting. So that's where I started using things like paleo, um, following things like Mark Sisson and, and Mark's Daily Apple and Rob Wolf. And um, at the time, there was, there was a guy named Sam Feltham um, who started a uh, nutrition um, nonprofit in the UK that tries to lobby for better nutritional guidelines. Um, and he, he had a great podcast. I think it was called Smash the Fat or something like that. And he really advocated a low-carb um, Keto wasn't so popular at the time. You know, this was like 2014. Um, but, you know, eating large protein-rich meals, low carbs, mostly green vegetables. Um, and so I started following that. I was eating a lot of protein. You know, I'd have occasional cheats. And my health was, I'd say, good. But I was really still skinny fat. Um, I had, you know, for a male, I was probably 20 to 25% body fat at you know, 160 pounds and five foot 10, and sometimes you know, 155 pounds. So you know, I was working these 80 to 100 hour weeks, very high cortisol, strung out, drinking a lot of coffee, fasting too much. My digestion wasn't great. My energy was up and down. Um, I was really stressed out, not sleeping well. And um, I had a DEXA scan, and my, my bone mineral density was actually below osteoporosis levels of bone which in a 22-year-old 20, who works out and lifts weights and eats a lot of protein is highly irregular. And a lot of the doctors didn't even know what to diagnose or do. Um, and so that's kind of what started me on my journey of saying, hey, I, I really need to fix this. I need to figure out what's going on with my health. Um, and so you know, over the years, over many years of experimentation, I slowly moved towards more of a ketogenic type diet eventually dropped the fasting, which I found was just increasing cortisol and, and stress um, on my life, particularly, you know, people who do it who fast until, until noon and just have a bunch of coffee in the morning. I think that can work for some, but in general, it, it, I feel like it's harmful and goes against our circadian rhythm. Um, and, you know, I adopted more of a, you know, eat till satisfied. Um, and I was already eating mostly meat um, and not really monitoring my protein or fat ratios like some ketogenic dieters do. 
And um, I was, came across Amber O'Hearn, um, who's been a carnivore for over 10 years. Um, she has a engineering background. She's very smart. She writes a lot on her blog, um, empira.ca, empirica. Um, and uh, she, she would be a great guest for your show, by the way. And she had um, struggled with major depression for her entire adult life and tried a lot of pharmaceutical interventions, been on a low carb diet, lost a lot of weight doing that, and then just happened upon zero carb and cut out the last of the plants. And um, she was explaining on this podcast, the Two Keto Dudes podcast, how dropping plants just made a night and day difference with her depression. Um, and how plants were not only, um, you know, not necessarily essential in our diet and, and digging into some of the research behind that. We can talk about epidemiology and, and why, you know, there's a healthy user bias around people who eat more vegetables and more plants, but also that plants can be harmful with a lot of the toxins they carry and sort of defense chemicals they use um, because they, they can't run away from predators. And I said, hey, that's really interesting. And I was already eating mostly meat. And so I said, hey, I'll try this out. And it was um, late 2016 at the time before a lot of the resources are available that are now great books, doctors, podcasts, talking about carnivore diet and how to do it right. So I went into it full bore and uh, made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, but basically, you know, since then, haven't looked back just ate mostly meat for most of the year um, and you know, started off eating a lot of ground beef and getting sick from too much of the rendered fat, but learned over time that you, know, you need to limit that and focus more on, on steaks or not eating a lot of liquid fats. Um, but despite all the mistakes I made, I was feeling great. I had more energy, was able to completely eliminate coffee, something I had needed for years as a crutch, um, despite sleeping worse because of uh, all the fat I was eating and getting kind of sick from that at night, I still felt really energized throughout the day. Um, my workouts were better, my body composition improved, um, and my mood improved too. I felt much more steady, even mood. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed the food. I felt so much more satisfied and all these cravings went away. So um, I, I, I had fantastic results with it at first and it seemed to just get better over time. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. And so do you think for, I guess, going from like with the paleo and keto, were you still having cravings? Like how did that, how did cravings in society shift? Yeah. So with paleo, you know, I was doing paleo completely wrong. I basically, my version of paleo was um, huge spinach salads drenched in olive oil with some raw carrots, cucumbers, and maybe one other vegetable. And then I would eat like six apples a day and a bunch of mixed nuts. Um, and I would like binge on almond butter. And then I would have like one cheat meal a week um, where I would like go out to dinner with, with my girlfriend at the time. And that, that just kept the cravings around and I gained a lot of fat and didn't feel very good on it. Um, I felt better than when I was eating all the processed food and like a typical college student, but um, it, it didn't help me that much with regards to the cravings. Then being more keto, um, you know, I, a lot of the cravings did go away. I was still eating a lot of things like keto pizzas and keto brownies and, uh, you know, mostly meat and vegetables, but um, I did still have desire for, for, you know, crunchy things, sweet things. Um, but it's amazing when people think carnivore diet requires so much discipline. And I think at first it really does. 
during the transition period. Um, but over time, uh, it, it's, it's amazing how quickly your body adapts and you just crave more and more meat. It's like every meal, every steak you eat is the best meal you've ever had. It's this really strange uh, uh, sensation. It's, it's hard to describe, um, but that's how, that's how I felt practicing carnivore. Um, and, you know, it can get old if you're eating cold, you know, Tupperware, ground beef, um, or, you know, making some adjustments because you're on the road or in a rush and just grabbing some hard boiled eggs or something like that. But when you have a nice grilled or, or cooked steak, it's like the most delicious thing. Your mouth starts to water as you're cooking it. Um, and you really just, just lose the taste for, for anything else eventually. Um, and I found it's, it's also easier for men than women in general. Um, not necessarily everyone, um, to, to eliminate those cravings. Thank you. Yes. I'm experiencing that right now. Just, um, not like even with paleo and, and low carb, like keto, I've never felt this satiated from, from food and just not looking for other things. Just yeah. Kind of like looking forward to eating a steak. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and I do want to ask you, so people are probably, I want to dive more into the plants. So like pro being programmed that healthy equals plant, like you type in health on Google images and you're going to get a bunch of vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> so what is this about? Like why might plants not be health food? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. And I think I, I can speak a little bit to it, but I really encourage folks to um, look for other resources on this. And I think some of the best places I would look are, um, so Kevin Stock, um, his, his blog is kevinstock.io, has a really good series on the dangers of plant foods. And he goes through systematically oxalates, lectins, phytates, some of these chemicals that are in common um, plant foods that can cause a lot of problems for people. People probably be most familiar with oxalates causing kidney stones. Those are common in spinach and almonds and uh, cocoa in a lot of popular paleo foods. There's also lectins, um, which I believe are in legumes um, and, and phytates. All these chemicals are basically how plants um, survive against predators. And well, some people view them as hormetic stressors, meaning a little bit of them causes your body to um, experience the stress then supercompensate into an even healthier state. Um, it's the whole idea behind phytonutrients, um, but really they're phytochemicals and, and the small amounts of these poisons can add up over time and cause really deleterious health effects in some people. Um, so oxalates over time can, can cause a buildup of oxalate in your blood, um, which can cause issues. Uh, one, I mentioned kidney stones. It can cause um, joint pain. Um, it can cause a whole host of other health issues. Um, and, and some of these other plant chemicals have similar effects. And so really eliminating them for some people um, who have severe autoimmune issues, thyroid issues, um, ulcerative colitis, et cetera, can, be, can, be, can have an amazing effect. For some people, they can tolerate them and it's totally fine. But like I said, the carnivore diet can be a really strong elimination diet 
Um, so it can, it can get rid of these foods and you can see how you respond and then you can test them back in um, over time and, and see how you feel. You know, do three days of just adding back in spinach at a meal. Do three days of just adding back in cucumbers. And some of these plant foods are much more benign particularly the ones that are closer to fruits, because fruits actually, if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, fruits want to be eaten because that, that's a way of, of the seed spreading and the fruit proliferating is by you consuming it and then um, you know, recycling it somewhere else uh, versus, so especially low sugar fruits, cucumbers, zucchinis, eggplants, um, these foods can, can be less harmful for a lot of people and they find they tolerate them, berries. Um, but foods that are uh, like green vegetables, cauliflower, these brassica vegetables, uh, a lot of them, one, are, are not something we would have eaten evolutionarily because they're all um, bred from the same common plant food that's about 200 years old. So Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, a lot of the asparagus, a lot of these other foods all come from one plant that we genetically modified and selectively bred, kind of like we have with dogs, um, to make this whole host of vegetables. So we didn't really evolve eating this, but we can still kind of tolerate it. Um, those, those foods are, are where people tend to have actually the most problems. And then a lot of people ask, well, oh, where do I get my vitamins if I'm not eating plants? If you stack up, and, and Maria and Craig Emmerich um, have a, a, an absolutely fantastic chart on this um, that folks can look up. They, they rank common, quote unquote, superfoods like blueberries and avocados, um, and they put them on, on this chart. Against stack ranked against all the essential vitamins, vitamin A, B, K, D, um, et cetera, and uh, put it up against you know, beef meat and beef liver and fish. And uh, animal foods not only are much higher in a lot of these nutrients, the nutrients are more bioavailable. So you can get vitamin A from spinach, um, but it's not in the most uh, bioavailable form. It's, it's in a different form that your body has to convert into its preferred form. So you have to eat bags and bags, pounds and pounds of spinach. And meanwhile, you're getting all these phytochemicals along with it versus you could just eat a small amount of beef liver and it's very easily absorbed and digested and very high in the most bioavailable form of vitamin A. Um, so that's one thing. And then two, um, having including plants in your diet can actually inhibit the absorption of vitamins and minerals. So there's a really interesting study where they fed participants oysters um, and they either fed them oysters plain or oysters with corn tortillas or oysters with beans and corn tortillas. And they, said, and they saw how high were the plasma zinc levels, because oysters are high in zinc, after they eat these different combinations. And the, the zinc levels in the people who just ate oysters were very high. They absorbed all the zinc. The people who ate the, the oysters along with corn tortillas or along with black beans actually had very low zinc levels. So in some ways, these these other plant foods can actually create more noise and inhibit the absorption of vitamins. So one, when you're eating an animal-based diet with, that's very low in plants, your nutrient requirements almost go down because you're getting, um, you're, you don't have the distractions of, of competing with other phytonutrients. Two, it's more bioavailable and more readily available um, in some of these animal foods. God, yes, this is so good. For people to hear because it's so not what we're preached at we think that yeah we have to have vegetables in order to achieve nutrients 
sufficient, like a sufficient amount of nutrients. And so even thinking of, I guess, could you explain a little bit to the listeners about kind of the ancestral way of eating and what, like the survival that plants maybe have been just used as survival food, but when animals were available, that was like, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So, I mean, our, our ancestors were um, omnivores. They, they ate both plants and animals. Um, but there's a lot of evidence that, um, one, we, we systematically, and, and a really good book on this is actually uh, Sapiens, um, is a really interesting book about kind of the history of the human race um, and, and how we grew civilizations. But there's a really interesting part of the book where they talk about um, the evidence of megafauna, these giant animals that were all over um, the continents, all over North America, all over Australia. If you think about, you know, 30 foot long sloths and these huge, huge herbivore animals that basically meant man and women went and hunted to extinction because we had such a desire for animal fat in animal food. Um, and it was so easy for us to, to work in, in groups and bands and tribes and with spears to kill these animals because they were slow. Um, that that was really our preferred fuel source. And if you look at um, some of the uh, nitrogen um, and carbon isotope data of um, Paleolithic men and women, uh, you can actually trace how much of their diet came from animal protein versus plants. And, you know, in times of starvation, when they didn't have access to these animals, they would have to go forage and gather berries and honey and um, things like that to try to make up for the lack of nutrients. But, you know, if they could kill a, a huge woolly mammoth, they would feast on that for days. And that was really the preferred fuel source versus, you know, oh, you know, we haven't had a kill in, in a week. Um, we're starving. We better go find some berries, find some, some corn. You know, if, if you're a starving um, Hazda tribe member and you come across uh, a huge honeybee's nest, you're going to eat 10,000 calories of honey because you don't know where you're going to get your next meal. But you would much prefer to have the nutrient-rich, fatty, calorically dense um, animal food. Um, and so that's, that's really what um, our ancestors preferred and what we thrived on. Thank you for saying that. And yeah. do you, I guess for, for people who are kind of concerned eating, eating more fat with their, with their diet, what would you say to that? Yeah. So I'd say a lot of the evidence against, I, I'd say just adding fat to your diet, um, independent of changing anything else is probably not net positive for your health. Um, because the, it's the combination, Dr. Ted Naiman talks about this a lot. He, he wrote the, the PE diet, the protein to energy diet, and he has a lot of really great information, um, on Twitter and YouTube where he really distills, um, simple lessons about nutrition and exercise that I think are really helpful for people. He's a doctor out in Seattle and he talks about the combination of fat and carbohydrates is really what has caused a lot of metabolic disease and, disaster in our population, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, um, because it's those two foods together that cause fat storage, cause people to overeat, cause binge eating and addiction to food, um, and cause, um, cause you to gain weight. Where if you're having just protein and fat or just protein and carbohydrates, it's much less likely for that to happen. So I'd say the first 
you know, thing I would, I would do to anyone's diet who had a poor diet is I would try to dial up the protein. I try to say, try to get more protein and less energy from your food. If you're overweight, you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to get control of your hunger because protein is the most satisfying macronutrient. Most people are under eating it, especially in, in this country, especially women are vastly under eating protein. Um, and, and so focus on that. Second thing I would say is you don't need to restrict fat. If, if you're lowering the amount of processed food in your diet, you're naturally gonna be somewhat lower in carbohydrates if you're eating whole foods. And you know the fat you're getting is not going to be a ton of added fat, it's gonna be a fat attached to the animal protein you're eating. So you don't need to cut the fat off your steak, you don't need to focus on boneless, skinless chicken breasts, because that's actually much lower in nutrients than the steak. And the saturated fat on, on steaks is actually quite healthy. There's a lot of protective effects, it's important for your brain a lot of the tissues in your body and your hormones need saturated fat and cholesterol to thrive. And a lot of the demonization of saturated fat has been based on poor epidemiological research where researchers will ask a group of a thousand people, what do you think you ate over the last 10 years? And they'll try to report it and they'll say, oh, I ate a lot of meat. And they'll be like, okay, great. And you're unhealthy, therefore meat is bad for you. But they don't control for the fact that one, the, the reporting is highly inaccurate. And two, the people who are eating more meat um, are also probably eating out at McDonald's a lot. And so, you know, that high consumption of meat is probably associated with milkshakes and French fries. And, um, you know, maybe there's this thing called the healthy user bias. So the people who in the past have eaten more meat have more likely, you know, cared less about their health because we've been told for so long, eat vegetables, eat fruits, eat plants, that the people who balked at that are probably also the people who are more likely to smoke, more likely to not wear a seatbelt, more likely to um, not see a doctor if they're sick. So those people are more likely to die and, and be sick and have metabolic disease. Therefore, you can't control for all these things in this epidemiological research. So it's gonna look like those people are a lot less healthy, even though it's not the saturated fat that's the problem. It's those other behaviors or the combination of lots of fat and processed food and carbohydrates. Yes, I think this is so important to touch on because especially <laughs> with animal-based people thinking that it is like, oh, well, I'm going to, I know the, the quickest stuff I get is cholesterol. What's it going to do to your heart, your kidneys? And so can you speak to that about kind of yeah. dunking the things around cholesterol? Yeah, so I'm certainly not an expert on this, and I would refer people to Dave Feldman. I think he's the best authority on this, or um, Dr. Asim Malhotra. He's a, a cardiologist um, and, and outspoken doctor um, in the UK on um, ketogenic and low-carb diets. But uh, essentially, you know, um, again, a lot of the research sh showing the, the heart lipid hypothesis around cardiovascular health and cholesterol being bad um, is based on, on poor epidemiological research. We actually look at um, long-term mortality correlated with cholesterol, uh, especially in women. The higher your total cholesterol, generally the longer you live, um, the less you suffer from depression. Um, people with heart attacks, um, about 50% of them have high cholesterol and 50% of them have low cholesterol. Um, and there, there's not a lot of evidence that um, total cholesterol has, has any meaningful impact on your, on your long-term health from, from what I've seen um, in general. And, and there are obviously studies that point both ways. Um, what is important is generally your triglycerides. So triglycerides are generally a marker of inflammation. Um, it's generally accepted even by lots of um, 
family doctors and general practitioners that if you have really low triglycerides, they'll be like, oh, are you eating a low carbohydrate diet? And they understand that generally, if, if you drive down your, your triglycerides through getting these processed foods out, getting inflammation out of your diet, triglycerides are really a marker of inflammation. That's where you see the best metabolic health. And, and what I think is most important in, on your lipid panel is your HDL to cholesterol ratio or your HDL to triglyceride ratio, excuse me. So HDL is good cholesterol. It's protective. You want to have a higher HDL. Um, and, and when you have a higher HDL and low triglycerides, that's really positive. Having a value above one um, HDL to triglycerides is really strong. And, and you should be very proud of your health. Um, and generally, um, people eating low-carbohydrate diets, eating plenty of healthy saturated fat, um, eating high-protein, exercising, uh, sleeping well, low stress, have that ratio. Um, and so I think that's, that's really where I, I think it's most important. Um, the other things you mentioned, kidney disease. Um, again, I'm not an expert here, um, but uh, Dr. Ted Naiman, Dr. Jason Fung, and uh, Kevin Stock have written extensively about protein and its effect on the kidneys, um, as has Dr. Stuart Phillips, one of the foremost protein researchers in the world. Um, eating high protein, th there isn't evidence that n people with normal kidney function, eating high protein has any uh, long-term negative effect on your kidneys. Um, your kidneys are, are very good at deaminating protein. Um, and actually, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of studies showing that people who eat higher protein have healthier kidneys because you need protein as a building block. Um, people who already have kidney disease, um, some of them have trouble with eating a high protein diet. Um, but a lot of the myths out there about protein causing gout and things like that, it's really not true. Um, a lot of the like high uric acid that causes gout is more from processed foods and high carbohydrates um, from what I've seen in the research. Thank you. And yeah, this is, I think, huge for people because I've seen so many people come to me. They're on statins or they're on um, women, so many women with thyroid issues and depression and thinking that they need to, to cut, the, cut the fat, cut the cholesterol out of their diets. And that's what they've been eating is like super low fat protocols. And it's yeah. like the exact opposite of what their body's needing. Yeah. So this is huge. Um, and for like all the testimonials you've listened to and your own testimonial, what are some of the benefits of the carnivore diet? Um, you've mentioned a lot of them, but if we can just go through like people that might be listening that have issues. Yeah. Um, so I think the best place to, to like for folks to even dig in and see some of these is to go to meetrx.com. That's um, Dr. Sean Baker's website. And you can go to the success stories and he has them indexed by all different types of uh, symptoms and, and things people have improved. I'm just looking at some of them now. Allergies, alcohol use, anemia, anxiety, arthritis, autism, back pain, blood sugar, bone health, cardiovascular health, constipation, depression, cravings. Uh, the list goes on and on. It, it seems too good to be true. And I don't think the carnivore diet is a magic pill. I think a lot of it comes from just the elimination of processed foods. But it is amazing to see and, and hear some of these success stories of folks who have tried every diet under the sun, at least from what they've said, have tried keto and are seeing incremental changes from switching to carnivore. Most common things are, you know, it's, it's not a weight loss diet in the short term. I'd encourage people to 
eat to satiety and, and try to heal themselves first before focusing on weight loss. But a lot of people lose, lose stubborn body fat on a carnivore diet. A lot of people experience lower anxiety, more satiety. Um, they feel more energy, um, more uh, vigor and, and, and excitement for life. Digestion is a huge one. You know, fiber can cause a lot of problems with people's digestion. Um, so a lot of people uh, improve their digestion switching to a carnivore diet. Um, a lot of people will gain muscle and lose fat. So some women um, especially may complain, hey, I've been on a carnivore diet for five months and my, my, the scale hasn't moved. But my clothes are fitting differently and I look so much better in the mirror and you know, I, I'm able to, I, I feel so much stronger. It's like, well, that's exactly what you want. You gained muscle and you lost fat. A lot of people say that's not even possible. Um, but that's, that's the ideal because muscle is the organ of longevity. It's what protects you into old age. It's what correlates most with your long-term um, mortality. You want more muscle and, and to be able to do that while losing body fat is the ideal. It's more important than the overall number on the scale. So I'd say those are some of the benefits. And then from a mental standpoint, you know, a lot of people report improved relationship with food, um, decreased cravings, decreased addictive tendencies, even outside of, of um, outside of food. I've, I've had people on the podcast who have had struggled with alcohol addictions, drug addictions, um, pornography addictions, who have found it easier to drop those things um, on a carnivore diet because I think carnivore eliminates a lot of the processed foods and carbohydrates that are spiking the same dopamine centers in your brain um, that, that, that carbohydrates do. This makes so much sense, yes. And I wanna to touch on what you said with the fiber. So, cause that's another thing yeah. that a lot of people are like, well, don't we need fiber and the whole, everyone's preaching microbiome. Yeah. And so yeah. do you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I, a lot of people will say just like fiber is the worst thing in the world. You should eliminate all fiber. Fiber should never exist. I, I'm, I like to take a little bit more of a neutral approach on fiber. So the, the case against fiber is kind of this number of 30 to 40 grams a day was established by this one uh, anthropologist who's studying this tribe, it might have even been a group of monkeys. <laughs> it was either people or monkeys, I forget, in Africa. And he didn't like document their diet or ask them what they ate. He just kind of watched them for a few weeks and said, oh, it looks like they eat about 30 to 40 grams of fiber a day. They seem pretty healthy. Um, I guess all people should eat 30 to 40 grams of fiber. That's kind of how that was established, as wild as that seems. Um, fiber, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a blocker. When, when you have people who have um, uh, colostomy bags, um, so, so they can't digest fiber, um, you know, they just fill with the fiber residue of basically the non-digestible food you can't eat. We don't have the capacity as humans to digest fiber the way apes do or ruminant animals do, because we don't have, you know, the multiple stomachs and the giant rumen that they do. These, these animals can actually ferment fiber and convert it into saturated fat. So you might see a cow grazing all day, or you might see a monkey eating bananas and fruit all day, but actually what they're able to do with, with their digestive system is take that fiber and break it down and produce saturated fat. So really they're eating a ketogenic diet because they're consuming 70 to 80% fat um, through all the, all the saturated fat that they can produce endogenously that we can't as humans. Our digestive tract looks a lot more similar to a dog or a wolf. When we evolved big brains, um, our stomachs actually shrank to, to make sure that, you know, if, if we had 
the huge brains we have today and all the stomachs that ruminants do, it would be very costly metabolically and evolutionarily to support all those structures. We would need a lot of food all the time um, to make sure we're supporting that. So there was a trade-off and we produced bigger brains and our stomachs shrank. So, so and if you look at the pH of our stomach as well, the stomach acid we have is more akin to um, animals that, th that thrive on eating uh, mostly, mostly meat, like, like cats and, and felines. So uh, our, our ability to digest fiber is very limited and our ability to generate energy from fiber is very limited. What fiber does is it really just slows down your digestion, which I think, getting back to where I started, I think is a net positive for most people who are eating a lot of carb, carb food, high sugar food, that's gonna spike your blood sugar and cause your insulin to spike and cause some of these deleterious health effects. Fiber is good, it slows that down, it keeps you full. There's arguments around how full it keeps you long-term and maybe that's just a short-term effect, but that can be positive. But when you eliminate fiber from your diet, your digestion very quickly adapts. It may take a couple of weeks where you either have um, you know, symptoms of going to the bathroom way too often or not going at all, but when you eliminate fiber from your diet, your digestion actually becomes very smooth, most people find. And they're going to the bathroom less often, they have less waste, just because there is less like stuff in their stomach. The, the meat is very well absorbed, um, but they, they are regular and they feel good. And, and most people don't experience constipation or digestive distress on a carnivore diet. And there's a really interesting study of people with IBS, Crohn's, um, in a lot of these conditions. By the way, those people are prime candidates for a carnivore diet in my mind, and a lot of people with those conditions thrive on carnivore. But um, they, they separated people into, I think it was four groups of varying levels of fiber, and only the zero fiber group had almost complete remission of, of digestive um, symptoms and issues. So fiber is, is really this thing that's been touted on us and forced on us um, based on some poor historical research and um, you know, I, I think it does kind of make sense given the standard American diet to include some fiber, but you don't need it to go to the bathroom. You don't need it for proper health. I don't think you need it for a great microbiome. Um, I think the research on microbiomes is far in its infancy and, and we know way too little about it, but um, I, I think humans weren't meant to eat huge amounts of fiber. And I'm really glad you pointed this out because I actually had that question for, for clients that aren't going, aren't ready to go to a carnivore diet, but like, is like, we use fiber to slow down blood sugar absorption. So I'm like, add yeah. in this, add in this, like, where is that balance? So I'm really glad you spoke to that. Um, yep. And for, so people who want to kind of explore this, what would you say first steps? Would you tell them like, would you do like transition through like a paleo or keto, or would you go just full, full out? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say it depends on, on where you're at and what you think you can you can do long-term and, and start to comply with. If the idea of going 100% full strict carnivore is something you think you'd be able to stick to for maybe a month or two, um, then I'd say, I'd say try it. If it's something that sounds terrifying and you think you'll last three days, then, then don't. You know, find a version that you can adhere to yourself. Maybe just try increasing the amount of meat in your diet first and, and decreasing some of the processed food. Make one small swap those incremental changes can be really powerful. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to encourage anyone to completely overhaul their diet if I thought it would, it would cause them to fail. Um, and then I think, you know, for people who do want to jump all the way in, I'd say, you know, eat a lot of meat, eat until you're full. 
eat mostly fattier meats. Don't try to eat lean steaks or chicken or lean pork. As I said, try to try to get enough fat because that's really where you're going to be getting your energy. Protein is a building block, but you need fat for energy. Um, and you know, make sure you're you're managing your electrolytes a lot. Make sure you take a magnesium supplement. Have a lot of salt on your food. Maybe include some salt outside of your meals and in, in water or an electrolyte mix, however you like to take it. Um, but that can be really important during the transition period because especially with ketogenic or low carb diets, people just flush out water and with it, they lose a lot of their electrolytes. And that's where you get the keto flu, you get headaches, you get a lot of these symptoms, uh, low energy um, that can really just mean you're not getting enough electrolytes. Um, so that's how I would encourage people to start. Um, and and uh, definitely, again, going back to adherence, I think if you need to include some of the like carnivore fun foods, well, you get started more bacon, cheese, maybe some special spices on your food for cooking. That's great. If that is what's going to keep you on the diet, you know, maybe having some yogurt, something that, that you can stick to, um, do that first. Don't try to go too far and then fail and fall backwards. You don't want to be, um, the, uh, you know, January gym goer who signs up for five fitness classes a week. And then by February, they're, they're done. They're sitting on the couch for the rest of the year. You want to find a change that you can stick to and, and where you'll be able to experience real results. Yes. And for listeners, what do you eat, Scott? What's like your current diet or how has it evolved over this time? Yeah. So as I said, I, I've, I've experimented a lot over time. I'm more meat-based now um, and not strictly carnivore. Uh, I've tested back. So I, I did about three years of completely strict carnivore um, where I ate almost no plants ever with, at all. I had no cheats. I maybe had a couple of times where I had like a couple of vegetables at a restaurant, but I was really quite strict. Um, I had coffee for the first two years and then eliminated it for a year um, and then I was eating almost exclusively beef and organs um, and staying away from even things like bacon or cheese or cream, anything like that, um, any spices. And then, uh, you know, more recently, I, I've always had very poor sleep. So I've tried to experiment with things around sleep, trying adding back in small amounts of honey um, and fruit um, around uh, you know, closer to bedtime to try to try to facilitate better sleep, deeper sleep hasn't always worked. Um, but I've experimented with, you know, small amounts of carbs, like 10 grams of carbs before workouts, because I resistance train very heavily a few days a week. Um, and more recently, you know, I, I'd say my diet is 80% animal foods, mostly beef, sometimes turkey, um, not a lot of pork or chicken, uh, a lot of fish, and then I'll include things like yogurt, some fruit, um, a very small amount of vegetables. Um, and that's where I seem to feel really best. And I've slowly titrated back in those foods and tested them and seen what I react positively to and poorly to. Um, but I'd still say it's a very animal-based diet. Um, I'm just not you know, a pure strict carnivore and, and I'm not someone with an autoimmune condition that needs to strictly adhere to carnivore forever. That makes so much sense. And do you take any supplements or would recommend like recommend anyone who's starting out the supplements that they need? 
Yeah, I think most people, um, particularly on a ketogenic or carnivore diet, aren't getting enough magnesium. So I think that's a really good place. A lot of people find they, they get on well without it, but I think that can really help a lot of people. Um, it can also help sleep and muscle recovery. Um, so that's great. I, I generally take a few hundred milligrams before bed. Um, you know, uh, I, I like to take these optimal carnivore um, liver capsules um, on days where I don't have liver. I generally try to have about eight ounces of raw liver a week, um, beef liver. But uh, on days I don't have it, I like to have like this organ complex they make, which includes thymus, heart, pancreas, some of the other organs that we don't commonly get. And I know the company, I know the founder, and they source their stuff very well. Um, so I trust them. Um, other than that, uh, I, I don't think there are a lot of other supplements you need to take on a carnivore diet. Um, like I said, some of your vitamin requirements go down when you're on a carnivore diet. Uh, I, if someone's not getting any sunshine for very extended periods of time, like in Sweden or some of the Nordic countries, I'd probably recommend a vitamin D supplement, though I don't actually know if that's necessary or helps. Um, and then fish oil is, is up for debate. Some people think it's super necessary, some don't. Um, but I, I eat fish a few times a week, so I'm not too concerned about that. Okay. And I, I know you mentioned electrolytes earlier, and I just want to drop yeah. that point because that one has yeah. been super important. Of, it's like I ran out of my <laughs> some like liquid electrolytes. I ran out yesterday and the day before, waiting on Amazon to come in, and it was like my anxiety went through the roof. It was insane, and I got it today, yeah. and I feel like a rainbow. So it's yeah, like, that's great. It's such a big, such a big thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess lastly. Oh, I did want to, I know we're running out of time, but I did want to ask you um, for people who are on this thinking about like sustainability and thinking about um, the environmental impact and how, like, I don't know, I, I'm a yoga teacher and I get a lot of, yeah, yeah. so I'd love you to speak on That's that. That's awesome. So I, I, I could go down a huge rabbit hole with this. Um, and I think a great book on this topic is Defending Beef by Nicolette Han Nyman. She's a vegetarian who um, now helps run Nyman Ranch with her husband. You may have seen them in grocery stores. Um, she's, she's amazing. She used to be a lobbyist and lawyer for a lot of environmental protection agencies and even maybe PETA. Um, and she talks a lot, a lot about the ethical arguments around animals. Diana Rogers um, from Sustainable Dish is also a great resource here. But the, the, the short story is something has to die for you to eat. Something has to die for you to live. Even if you're the most strict raw vegan in the world, you still need um, bone meal to grow, to grow your, whatever you're eating, to grow plants um, as, as, uh, as soil, as, as manure. Um, and so any, anything you're eating, um, something died for it to get to your plate, whether you're eating corn and soy and tofu and monocrops, and that means that they have to till through um, giant plots of land and kill all the rodents and squirrels and birds and everything in its natural habitat and ruin that land for the animals that live there. Or if you're eating a, bee, a cow, which could you know, sustain one human for a whole year um, that was raised on, on a nice pasture and had one bad day in its life and had a farmer that loved it and cared for it. Um, something is going to die for, for you to have to eat. So I think accepting that is important. And then after that, um, you know, people have different arguments around valuing different beings differently. I don't, 
think it's my place or anyone's place really to say that the value of a cow's life is worth more than that of a, a squirrel or an ant or whatever. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's up to your own individual moral judgment. Um, but I think, uh, you know, particularly sustainably raised, grass finished, pasture raised animals is one of the like most ethical ways you can eat because those animals are treated like royalty. <laughs> they have one bad day in their life. The way they die is extremely humane compared to a predator, you know, literally eating them alive as they try to run in fear and are torn to shreds. They, they have a like very fast lethal injection. They're treated very well. They're kept very well. A lot of these, this propaganda from vegans around slaughterhouses and, um, you know, kill, kill pens and all these things is fear-mongering and it's like the 0.01% of the cattle industry that actually practices like that, from what I understand. If you actually go out and talk to ranchers, I've had ranchers on my show, you talk to agronomists, people who care for animals, they care very deeply about these animals. And um, when they kill the animal, they respect the animal, they try to use as much of the animal as they can. Um, so I think, um, you know, a lot of the grandstanding uh, by, by vegans is often um, one virtue signaling, trying to represent that they're, you know, holier than thou by, by not eating animals. And two, um, they're, they're partly ignorant to some of the facts around um, the, the amount of animal deaths and the environmental impact of, of what they're eating and, and shipping, you know, all these crops and, um, you know, almonds being harvested and the water use of all the, the food they're using in transportation and storage. Um, it, it's, it can be much more than um, a simple, a simple cow um, animal. So, so I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, but I think folks have, have to really dig into some of that for themselves. And I think Defending Beef is, is one great resource there. Um, there's another book coming out soon called Sacred Cow, by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf that I think is gonna be absolutely excellent resource. Okay, I'm writing these down, thank you. Yeah. And I guess, Scott, to, to wrap up, is there anything else that you would, do you think someone should know if they're like embarking on the carnivore diet, they're starting out, any helpful tips? Yeah, so, so a few I would just share with folks is one, don't be afraid to self-experiment. Try it out for yourself. If if you're if you're dissatisfied with your current diet, any part of your how you look, how you feel, how you perform, give it a try. It might be for you. If all those things are good, then don't change anything. You've won. <laughs> um, two, uh, don't don't be a um, zealot. Don't try to force your diet on other people. Be open about sharing your success. If people want to know, if they want to learn. Um, share it with them, but don't don't force your diet on others. Um, and, and then three, try to f try to find a community. Try to find one of these Facebook groups, podcasts, YouTube. Invest your in your own learning. Take your health into your own hands. Do that with others and try to give back and help others. Because um, I think that's how this grows. I think if we're waiting for randomized controlled trials to try to find answers to some of these questions, um, we're all going to be dead before they come out. So um, take your health in your own hands and, and try things. Thank you. And do you have any communities that you'd recommend for carnivore as far as? Yeah. For carnivore, I really like um, World Carnivore Tribe is excellent. It's a huge Facebook group. Um, uh, there's uh, Carnivore Corner is another Facebook group. Um, Mind Body Breakthroughs is excellent. 
Um, for folks who are more into YouTube, you can follow Sean Baker. You can follow Nutrition with Judy is an excellent resource. Carnivore Yogi. Um, for folks who are looking for more of an active community support program and possibly coaching, uh, I'd, I'd refer them to MeetRx. Um, that's meetrx.com. They have success stories, resources. Um, they have membership, but they, I think you can be a free member for, um, for a month. And then after that, something really cheap, like 10 or 15 bucks a month. And they also have coaching. You can be coached for like 17 bucks for half an hour or an hour. It's like really cheap. So if you need to troubleshoot, if, if you want help, um, that's, that's a great place to go to. Yes, this is awesome. You provided so many resources. This is great. Sure. Yay. And if I get lastly, my final question, um, how can people connect with you? Yeah. So my podcast is the Carnivore Cast. Um, so people can come listen to that if they like. Um, I've had all types of guests there. You can search Carnivore Cast and you know any condition you like, and, and you may be able to find an episode on it. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just look for Carnivore Cast, um, or you can go to carnivorecast.com. And feel free to shoot me an email, shoot me a direct message. Um, I always respond, and I love hearing from folks. Um, and yeah, so so feel free to reach out, and I'm happy to chat. Yay! Awesome, Scott. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Ellie. You're welcome.